Hi there, this is How to Choose, the show that helps you make better decisions and improve your judgment. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ken. And I'm Tessa. In this, our first season of How to Choose, we're covering some of the common obstacles that impede good decision making and how to overcome them. So last episode, we looked at tree felling, uh, which was a metaphor for sticking at a decision. So we looked at how it's important sometimes to commit to a certain path, to pick and stick in order to achieve our goal. And in today's episode, uh, we're continuing our gardening metaphors and we're looking at hedge pruning or when you need to keep your options open and just make small changes to your decisions. Excellent. Let's go. Let's go. Now, millennials, which I technically am, um, have a bad rap for not being able to commit to anything. Basically, they're accused of being the opposite of a tree feller, which we discussed last episode. But there are times when this is the best approach to decision making, and it's what's called hedge pruning, making incremental decisions which can be changed and evolve over time. Yeah, so this is much like the hedge around my yard, which no doubt started as something sensible before it evolved into the monstrosity that I had to prune late last year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm going to give you a quiz, Ken. I'm going to start describing a famous person and I want you to buzz in when you think you know who they are. Are you ready? Yes, I feel very confident. Yeah, I know you're very good at quizzes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this person was born in 1972. Have you got it? Uh, Look, I'm pretty sure, but maybe just keep going. Yeah, a few more. Um, He got a scholarship to college playing American football where he had huge success. In 1995, he suffered a back injury which cost him a place in the NFL. He signed with the Canadian League instead. Mm. But he ditched this after a year to pursue a career in wrestling. Oh, yeah. He had a very successful career as a wrestler, but in 2000, he took a break to film the little film called The Mummy Returns. Yes. The Rock. The Rock, yes. Love it. (laughs) Um, So he went on to return to wrestling, um, just doing acting on the side, but then he left it for good in 2004. Yes. Good work. Now, I'm going to make this one a bit harder Mm. for you, not necessarily for our listeners. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, And I'm also going to go in reverse to make it harder for you. So, current career Uh and then how she started out. Oh, dear. Okay. In 2021, at age 41, she passed California's first year law student's exam. This was the same year that she became a billionaire. Wow. In 2019, she launched a shapewear brand, which is valued at around $225 million. Do you know what shapewear is, Ken? Yeah, I think it's um, – uh, is it like a more versatile kind of Tupperware? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some, uh, you know, like synthetic materials involved, I guess. Yeah. Lots of colours potentially. Yeah. Yeah, yeah pretty yeah, close. Yeah, I'm picturing it. Yeah. Um, In 2017, she launched a makeup brand using a direct-to-consumer model, relying heavily on social media marketing. Within just one year, it was bringing in about $100 in revenue. Any idea? Oh, no, I'm kind of stuck on this one. No, I'll keep going. Mm, Yeah. She became a household name in a reality TV show with her family, which became one of the longest-running reality TV shows from 2007 to 2021. She worked as a stylist on Paris Hilton's A Simple Life from 2003 to 2006. Oh, okay. Her entrepreneurship started back in high school where she started selling clothes and shoes on eBay. Her father was on OJ Simpson's defense team during his 1995 murder trial. 
It's time to guess. Yeah, I think I might actually have it now. Is yeah. she a Kardashian? Yeah, do, oh, you know, it good work. Look at that. Took took you a little while. It but. Did take me a while. <laughs> yes. um, do you know which one? Is it Kim? Yeah. Oh, look at that. God I don't stuff. know if I know the others. <laughs> yeah, Kim. Okay, look at that. Wow. They're Who all incredibly successful. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, it's amazing. It's um, interesting. But it's her latest career shift, I think, that's the most interesting because a lot of people don't know about it. Uh, and she decided to become a lawyer by ad- advocacy work she was doing for death row inmates and her frustration at not being able to understand all of the legal jargon when she was at meetings, you know, trying to get people not not killed. Yeah, I had no idea actually that, mm. that it was only when we got on to, well, past the Tupperware stuff yeah, onto you the got other bits sense, that yeah. I got it, yeah. <laughs> um, and you know what I mean? Like she was becoming a billionaire at the same time that she's going back to college. Yeah, yeah. That's, that is yeah, surprising and very impressive. It is, yeah. yeah. Um, and do you think at age 18, do you think she had even an inkling of what her future career and success would be? No. All she knew was that she wanted to be famous. Um, I mean, first she became infamous due to a home movie, um, but we're not going to go into that because this is a family-friendly podcast. All right, yeah. Um, yep. But her young self had no inkling that at the age of 40, she'd be spending all her spare time cramming for this um, bar exam, none whatsoever. Mm. And what about The Rock? Do you think that he would have been able to pivot into wrestling and then acting if he'd really put all his eggs into that football basket? No, that's right. So what I'm taking from this test is it's not too late for me to become a professional samba dancer. <laughs> um, definitely not. I mean, and we know from the previous episode that, you know, if you've got grit, you maybe start doing 40 hours of samba dancing, you'll get there, Ken. That is quite a lot of hours, yeah. Mm. I, I think I would quickly <laughs> discover whether this was a passion yeah. or not. Um, I mean, there are so many examples like this. So, you know, future Ken, the samba dancer, is not going to be the only one. Mm. Um, famous or not, they're, you know, and you and I are actually examples of hedge trimmers from way back. Do you want to summarise your life and career just to show the evolution of what a hedge trimmer actually looks like? Yeah, sure. So, to quote the Beatles, it's been a long and winding road, Tess. Um, After school, I launched into a science degree and majored in entomology. Insects? Yes. Unlikely as it may seem, insects. Um, So, I finished that uh, and then I catapulted off to Bible school. I ended up with a Bachelor of Theology. Uh, From there, I went and worked in Africa for a couple of years uh, I came back to Australia, I studied education, and then I worked as a high school teacher for a few years. Um, after that, I got accredited as a Baptist pastor in Queensland. And uh, from there, I moved to Canberra and I joined the public service as an analyst, which was a very um, different kind of career move. Um, I'm polishing off a master's degree in security and management. Um, and somehow along the way, I've managed to live on five continents. So. Such an interesting life already. Uh, but imagine if you had have taken that tree-filling approach and committed doggedly to your first choice. We wouldn't be sitting here right now. No, that's right. Yeah, if I'd stuck with entomology, that would mean 30 years of studying insects, uh, maybe in a cramped room in a museum that stinks of mothballs, uh, by which I mean naphthalene, not moth testicles, <laughs> um, which I believe don't have a strong odour. Uh, but even so, it's, uh, it's a bit depressing to imagine what life would have been like. Um, you'll be surprised to hear there's very little glamour in studying flies or even grasshoppers. Oh, yeah. I mean, I thought it was a super glamorous life. Yeah, I, mean, I know. That's a popular view. Yeah. yeah I yeah. mean, almost Just as glamorous. a lot of grind. <laughs> it's a lot of hard work. And like yeah. we said, you wouldn't be sitting here in our very glamorous recording studio, your, your living room. No, that's yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, now, back back on topic, um, another reason to keep our options open and to trim that hedge 
is that trying lots of different things and staying adaptable can actually make us more successful. A recent study found that athletes from small towns were more likely to become professionals due in part to the fact that their environment was less competitive and they were more likely to try lots of different sports rather than an intense focus on just one from an early age. Yeah, look, I think that makes sense to a degree. So when you've studied a range of different topics, you've worked a range of jobs, you actually develop a more diverse collection of knowledge and skills that then you can draw on for future roles. Um, I know that you were a teacher too, Tess, and I think teaching is something that gives you really useful skills that can help in a range of other jobs uh, and which we're drawing on now as podcasters as well. Oh, for sure. I mean, we basically, as a teacher, you're, you're presenting yeah. You know, eight hours a day every day, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. Um, I often think back to the skills and knowledge from teaching, and I think it's made me a better analyst, a better student, a better observer of the world. Um, but it's not just our personal experience that makes us, you know, makes me an advocate for broadening. David Epstein advocate, advocates for generalists over specialists in the book Range, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialised World. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I'd like to... Uh, I'd like to read that one. Can mm. you tell us any more about that one? Yeah. Um, it's, you know, one of the points is that modern work demands knowledge transfer, which is the ability to apply knowledge to new situations and different domains. Now, I'm not saying there's no room for specialty, but specializing to the exclusion of all other things could actually be to your detriment. Sure, if you're passionate about becoming a doctor from an early age, pursue that with all the energy you want, you know, take that tree filling approach. But Maybe keep playing the guitar on the side or don't neglect your gardening hobby. The skills you learn in those other domains may actually make you a better, more creative doctor in the long run. Uh, but look, I can hear people saying surely some of these hobbies would distract you from your ultimate goal. Um, isn't there a counter argument that it's better to put your energy into the thing that you want to do most? Yeah, I mean, you would think that, but uh, they actually think the opposite could be true. Uh, nationally recognised scientists are much more likely than their less successful peers to be musicians, sculptors, painters and writers. And Nobel laureates are 22 times more likely to also be an amateur actor, dancer or other type of performer on the side. That's a pretty significant statistic, mm. isn't it? Wow. Um, and look, even as we're talking, it reminds me of uh, a colleague of my dad's, um, and this guy was a surgeon, but he was also a, a an expert woodworker. So he was doing incredibly complex woodworking, like he made a clock, a, a working clock completely out of timber, uh, including all the working mechanisms and cogs. Um, but I could see in that case that you're talking about very fine motor skills, mm. which could be – it could be transferable. It yeah. could be enhancing – your ability to, um, to you know, function as a high-level surgeon. Yeah, too. precision and focus yeah. and creativity. Um, yeah. yeah, I can see a lot of crossover there. Yeah. And I think like, anecdotally I can think of a lot of really successful people um, that are actually really good at other things on the side too, yeah, yeah, that they do have those hobbies that they're, you know, very talented and passionate about. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Mm. Um, so, look, is another part of hedge pruning also about keeping your options open? I mean, the idea that you could turn a simple garden hedge into some kind of glorious topiary dragon or some other kind of botanical wonder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, in, an, in another book, Choose Possibility by Secunda Singh Cassidy, she talks of the myth of the single choice. 
and instead actually advocates for consistently choosing little or big risks to take in pursuit of our goals, rather than putting too much pressure on ourselves to always make that right choice. Um, And a quote, we succeed over the long term by tacking our way to our dreams like sailboats in a shifting wind. Oh, that's very poetic. Um, But (laughs) how does that work in real life? So a big part of this idea is that you make incremental steps in the general direction that you want to go. So rather than signing up for, you know, say a two-year gym gym membership, maybe go month to month until you've proven to yourself that committing long-term is the right financial decision. Or it might mean that while you're pretty sure you do want to study philosophy, you've also considered dentistry. So maybe do a science subject in year 12 just in case, Um, you know, start broad before narrowing yourself, or you might find that you regret that decision later. Yeah, look, that makes a lot of sense. So the idea of starting broad and exploring options. Um, look, I remember when I was at uni, we had the advantage. Um, this is was a long time ago, but you know, studying a science degree, there was no fixed subjects at all for first year, so you could just choose your own adventure. Mm. Um, so I ended up doing a really broad range of things that I dipped into that um, that I thought were interesting. Um, and I think ultimately it probably gave me some ideas that I then pursued in more detail later on. So I, I, I like that idea of starting broad, uh, exploring options, being flexible, and then changing um, when necessary. Mm. So I, I guess that the question then is what is holding people back from taking that approach? So there can be a feeling that any steps you've made in one direction means we want to keep going in that direction. For example, you know, you're one year down a university degree, so you feel like you've just got to stick it out. And this is due to something called the sunk cost fallacy, where we follow through on an endeavour if we've already invested time, effort or money into it, whether or not the current costs outweigh the benefits. Yeah, the sunk cost fallacy, yeah. I mean, that would apply completely hypothetically, Tess, for example, (laughs) to someone who has employed a very dodgy tradesman to come and do some work in their house. Um, And because they paid an initial deposit, they refused to change their mind and let this fool keep working on their bathroom. Um, Please don't ask for any more details. Totally hypothetical. (laughs) Hypothetical. Look, that sounds like a great hypothetical example to unpack in a future episode, Ken. I might might prod that when the wounds healed a little bit more. Thank you. What we also don't realize is that there's also an opportunity cost of sticking with a path that is not 100% right for us. You know, another example in the romantic world, this would be staying with the partner you're no longer in love with just because it's too hard to separate. What you're giving up in this situation is the potential to find happiness and love with someone else. Yeah, exactly. Or even like picking a hairstyle in the 1980s and then refusing to change it. (laughs) (laughs) Although mullets have come back in again. So maybe if you stick long enough, your shame will turn to pride. (laughs) I mean, pretty much all fashion is like this, isn't it? Maybe just pick your favorite decade and then in 30 years' time, it'll be back in fashion. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you for joining us in today's episode. We've learned all about the idea of hedge pruning, also known as keeping your options open, and being more open to a diverse range of knowledge, skills, and opportunities. This way you won't narrow your future decision-making opportunities by locking yourself into one path from too early on. And look, if you didn't listen to the previous episode, I'd really encourage you to do so because I think they they really belong together as mm. a pair um, because it depends on the goal that you're hoping to achieve. Sometimes you might need to be persistent and stick at your choices. 
sometimes you might need to take a tentative step in a direction and then adjust as you go. Um, so we need wisdom to discern if we should pick and stick or select and adapt. Mm, and are you going to trademark those phrases? Ken? I think I think that's a very good, very yeah. good idea. Yeah, there's money there's money to be made from those phrases. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, if you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, make sure you subscribe to How to Choose and visit us at goodbetterright.com.au. And we usually have show notes there. We do, yeah. Well, we can unpack a lot of this stuff in more detail. Uh, and don't forget to tell your friends about us. We'd love to meet them too. And remember that sharing what you're learning is an awesome way to reinforce those lessons. So pick pick one thing, maybe do the Kim Kardashian in reverse quiz yeah. and, and tell a friend about this <laughs> very episode. Very difficult, very difficult quiz. <laughs> yeah, that's no good advice, Tess. And look, be sure to tune into the next episode when we'll be learning about the dilemma of too many jams. Oh, that sounds like a delicious dilemma. Yes. Yeah.